If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and last time we were together, I made mention that our text was the beginning of the end of Paul's argument against uh, the false teachers in Philippi. Well, today we do come to that end where he concludes this section with further application and warning. So hear now the word of the Lord from Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let us ask his blessing this morning. Father, we ask that the word of the Lord would go forth and that it would not return void. We ask a blessing would be upon the proclamation and preaching of this word. That it would be received as the very word of God because the faithful preaching of the word is to be received as the very word of God. And so, Lord, we ask that you would instruct us, that you would teach us, that you would guide us, direct us from this word. That it would be an encouragement unto us. That it would be a guide unto us. And that it would cause us to look forward to what you have in store for us. So, Lord, we ask your blessing would be upon this time now. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Throughout this entire chapter, Paul has been instructing the saints in Philippi who and what to look out for. And he does this so that they would remain safe from false teachers who had entered into their midst. These false teachers, these Judaizers, they were seeking to draw away believers from the faith once for all delivered unto the saints. 
And they did this by teaching a false gospel of faith plus works. Well, this perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was a terribly wicked thing. And those false teachers, they posed themselves as agents of the Lord in order to gain the trust of the saints within the church. But really, in all actuality, they were agents of Satan. And they were seeking to build their own blasphemous church out of deceived followers. And so Paul exercised his God-ordained pastoral duty to guard and protect and shepherd the sheep from these dogs who sought to devour them. Paul's words against these dogs are harsh. And in our modern society today, if, if a man were to stand up and to say the exact same things that Paul did about these Judaizers against the, the present day wolves who are masquerading in the church as messengers of Christ, then that man would be crucified in the court of public opinion. Those within the church would say that he's unnecessarily causing division. That he's majoring in the minors. That he's being unloving. And all you have to do is look online at any time someone speaks out against the heretics of our age. Those who have their following. And what, what blew my mind was the backlash from Reformed people uh, when the news about the death of that Antichrist, Pope Benedict, came out. And people, confessional Presbyterians, confessional Reformed people, were rightly condemning him because he is that Antichrist. And yet there were many, many Reformed people who were coming out in his defense. And it just blows my mind. We can't call out wickedness anymore. Even within our own groups. And thank God that that Antichrist Pope Benedict is now receiving his just reward. But if you speak out against people, if you speak out against the heretics of our day, then you will see the masses come out in, uh, in droves bearing their arms. But Paul, he didn't care about that. He wasn't worried. He doesn't hold any punches and neither will I when it comes to loving and protecting you all as the flock which Jehovah has placed under my care. You have to know the false teachers and their false teaching in order to avoid it at all costs. And that's what Paul focuses on here in this chapter. 
But friends, that's not enough. It's not enough to know which way not to go. No, you have to know which way you are to go. Here in our text this morning, Paul concludes this portion against the false teachers by instructing the saints at Philippi to look at the examples that are placed before them. To look at those examples, both good and bad, and to let them be as guiding principles in running this race of the Christian life and reaching forth towards the attainment of glory. And so the exhortation to you this morning is to walk in the way of the righteous in anticipation of your heavenly reward. And we'll consider this under three heads. First, the way of the wicked. Next, the way of the righteous. And then lastly, we will look at the end of the journey. So here in our text, Paul lays forth two categories of examples which ought to aid us in recognizing how we are to walk as believers in this life. And the first example for us to look at is the one which we ought to avoid, the way of the wicked. Look with me at verses 18 and 19. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Here, Paul is essentially saying, look at these false teachers and how their lives give evidence of their heresy. How they lead others down a path of perdition. Take note and use them as an example of what not to do. Don't follow in their way. He doesn't just leave these saints to guess what they are to to look for and avoid, but instead He gives them a list of characteristics of those who are in the way of the wicked. And He gives four characteristics which can be seen in these men. First, we see that they are enemies of the cross. These men are imposters. They're reckless. They trampled underfoot the power of the gospel. They did not seek to promote the cross of Christ, but instead put it to an open shame. Their teaching was one which did not point men to a Savior, but one which pointed men down a path of misery and despair. Then Paul says that their God is their belly. 
He's not speaking of mere gluttony, though in a sense that could be implied here. No, much more is being spoken of here than simply that. What, what he's talking about is most likely a reference to their portraying a bogus ministry and promoting a false gospel in order that they can indulge in their sensual appetites for fame and following and greed and filthy lucre. It confirms their status as enemies of the cross because it does violence to the propagation of the true gospel. Calvin remarks, persons of this sort who weaken the influence of the ministry by seeking their own interests sometimes do more injury than if they openly opposed Christ. And that is so true. The wolves in the sheep pen will always do more harm than the wolves on the other mountain. Paul goes on to say that these men glory in their shame. Oh, oh how often do we see people today glorying in the things which are most shameful. Making light of their sins and their failings. Some even wearing their sins and their failings as some sort of badge of honor. And it was no different in the first century. These false teachers were glorifying in their self-righteousness, in their own acts, in those things which ought to have brought shame upon them. But instead, they, they boasted in it. It didn't lead them to repentance as one would expect of someone who has been changed by the gospel. No, it led to uh, pride. It led to boasting and glorying in that which ought, they ought to have been ashamed. Friends, sin is the sinner's shame. And it is even more shameful when it's gloried in. And then finally, Paul says that they mind earthly things. These men think nothing of the thing, uh, think, think of nothing but the things of this world. And that's because they cannot think of anything else but the, of the things of this world. Their mind is carnal. It is captivated by this world. Christ came by His cross to crucify the world to us and us to the world. And those who mind earthly things act directly contrary to the cross of Christ. You've not been transformed by the gospel if your mind is only upon the things of this world. And so those who are on the way of the wicked, they relish in earthly things, for they have no relish in the things which are spiritual and heavenly. They set their hearts and their affections on earthly things. They love them and they even dote upon them 
and they have confidence and complacency in them. Friends, this is the example that is set before you that you are to avoid. This is the way of the wicked which the psalmist speaks against in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Blessing does not come in walking down the way of the wicked, but it comes in avoiding it. When you see men walking in this way, you must take note and ensure that you do not follow them down that same path. When you see them, especially if they profess the name of Christ, and even more so if they claim to be ministers of the gospel, it ought to bring tears to your eyes and cause you to weep as the apostle does. It's with tears that you ought to cry out to Jehovah to bring about repentance in these wicked examples. And also, it's in tears and in weeping that you ought to cry out to Jehovah for protection. For protection against you following down that same path. And your prayer ought to be for protection for those around you as well. that they would not walk down that path of perdition. By you gasping, by you you weeping, by your cries, you express how deeply you are grieved with the present state of the church. And friends, trust me, you ought to be grieved. And if you're not, then I worry that something is gravely wrong with you. How can you see the bride of Christ being led astray by wicked harlotries? How can you see this and not be brought to tears? Is it because you too have been deceived? by the whore which seeks to steal Christ's bride? Is it because you have already begun your journey walking in the way of the wicked? And if this is the case, then with weeping cries, I call out to you to turn away. To turn away from your wickedness. To repent. Put aside the wretched idol that you have made of your bellies. To put aside your sensuous carnal desires. And to find your pleasure and fullness in the one who fills all in all. Come unto Christ. Set your face like flint towards him. And avoid the way of the wicked. Paul doesn't just tell the saints at Philippi what to avoid, but he lays before them an example for which they are to follow. And this leads us now to consider the way 
of the righteous. Look with me at verses 17 and 20. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For our conversation is in heaven from hence from whence also we look for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This seems to be very similar to what uh, was seen at the end of chapter 2, if you recall, when Paul commended to the Philippian believers the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Look at these examples and follow them. If you recall, Paul was saying that here are these two young men. These two men that you know who illustrate all of the qualities that you are to imitate. Salvation has been worked out in them. So look to them and you'll know exactly what it means to live this Christian life and to live it well to walk in the way of the righteous. And so here again, he calls the saints to look to those examples that are set before them. But here he begins with the example of himself. Now it's interesting because he just previously finished telling these saints that he has not yet achieved perfection. Why would he then go on and encourage them to follow an imperfect example? Well, I believe that the answer is clear. There is but one perfect example, which is Christ Jesus alone. But we all need someone who we can physically see and interact with. We need them to be an example for us as well. Paul is in no way saying that he's perfect, that he's this perfect example, or that the saints should not look unto Christ. No, 1 Corinthians 11.1 makes it clear his position regarding this. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul is saying that believers can imitate and follow an example of a more mature and faithful believer insofar as they are imitating Christ. And he makes it clear that it's not because he's somehow better than everyone else, but instead he puts himself on a level plane with them which walk. He's saying there are many solid, mature, godly men here in Philippi who you saints can emulate. And so he encourages them to do so. So what is the characteristic of those whose examples are to be followed? Well, essentially everything about those who walk in the way of the wicked is opposed by those who walk in the way of the righteous. But more specifically, he says, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the characteristic. 
Those who walk in the way of the righteous have their minds and hearts and affections set on the things of heaven. They are not consumed by the things of this world. They are not gluttonous for the fulfillment of their sensual appetite for ungodly things. They are not enemies of the cross of Christ, but instead they are partakers in the sufferings of the Lord. On their lips was not the vile speech which is characteristic of the wicked, but instead were words that were seasoned with salt and sweeter than honey because they are saturated with the very Word of God. They do not glory in their shame, but instead they embrace true and godly repentance and glory only in the finished work of Christ Jesus. This is the example that Paul says the saints in Philippi are to follow. Not those wicked false teachers whose lives bear rotten fruit of bear the rotten fruit of their rotten doctrine. Those who are to be an example have their eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They are ever looking to his example and they are imitating him with their lives. They are keeping him as their focus and they are ever advancing towards him. That is what it means to imitate someone as they imitate Christ. To do just as they are doing in this regard. To keep your eyes focused upon Jesus. And then to see Jesus in other people. Brothers and sisters, this must be true of you. Matthew Henry says the life of a Christian is in heaven where his head is and his home is. And where his hope, uh, where he hopes to be shortly. He sets his affections upon things above where his heart is. There will his conversation be. Is your heart there? Do you look for and admire and imitate the Christ-likeness that you see in other people? Do you pray for yourselves? lest you cause others to stumble by bringing shame to the name of the Lord? Do you pray that others will catch a glimpse of Christ through what you are and what you trust and that they would want to know and love Christ better because of your example? Who are the examples that you're following? Are they men who proclaim a false gospel? Whose speech is more akin to an ungodly sailor than one claiming to be a minister of the gospel? Whose life is marked by covering up wickedness and building a blind following in the name, and building a name for himself? Is that who you are following? Or are you following men who have a proven pattern of faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Whose speech is tender 
and loving and edifying whose life is marked by their personal godliness and unwavering walk with the Lord. Dear saints, you should look to your elders as examples to walk in the way of the righteous. And I know this may embarrass him, but Elder Bob has been an ordained elder. In, he's been a, a shepherd in Christ's church for over 40 years. You would be a fool not to look at him as an example to follow and, not, and to not seek to glean from his wisdom. Look to others who are within the church. Men and women whom you respect who have a proven record of walking in the way of righteousness, look to one another, guiding one another along this path, aiding one another uh, when it, it seems to get tough, instructing and correcting one another when it seems that one is beginning to stray from the path of righteousness. Do not be too afraid or too humble to seek to be an example for others. Your life should portray to all who look upon it what walking in the way of, of the righteous looks like. Let your conversation be in heaven ever looking towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek to be that blessed man in Psalm 1 who delights in the law of the Lord and on His law doth He meditate day and night. Be the pattern for others to copy and how to do these things well. It is not a vain thing to strive for. It is not a self-righteous thing to seek to attain this. Your lives should be uh, as such that you can say to others, just as Paul does, brethren, be followers together of me. You should be able to say that to others as well. Follow the example set before you and be that example for others and walk in the way of the righteous. These two paths, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous, they both have their end. The day will come when we will all reach our end and depending on which path you walked will determine what your end is. And so this leads us to consider our final head. The end of the journey. Look with me once again at our passage. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have for us an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. 
for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. First, we need to consider the end of the way of the wicked. Paul says in his description of the wicked that their end is destruction. This is what awaits those who are outside of Christ. And Revelation twenty two fifteen makes this clear. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whoever loveth and maketh a lie. They are without. Their reward is to be cast away, to be outside of the gate, to be barred from entering into the city of God and dwelling in the midst of the Lord's holy presence. Anyone who is not in Christ will receive their just reward and it will be the exclusion from the life-giving fruit of Christ. in the presence of the Lord in the new Jerusalem. Their reward will be the just, uh, will be just that of their father, the devil, which is to be cast into the lake of fire from whence there is no hope of respite. David says in Psalm 37 and verse 20, the wicked shall perish and the enemies of the Lord shall be as fat of lambs they shall consume and to smoke shall they consume away. Psalm 1 makes this very plain as well. The way of the ungodly shall perish. This is the end of the journey for those who walk in the way of the wicked. But the end of the journey for those who walk in the way of the righteous is wholly different. For our conversation is in heaven from whence we also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. It is the attainment of that heavenly prize, the shedding off of this body of corruption and being given a new glorified body and being permitted to enter into the physical presence of the Almighty. That is our reward. It is the conquering of all things which is our end, the conquering of the flesh, the conquering of sin, the conquering of this world. And all of that is possible because you are united to Christ and His victory is yours. Henry writes, At Christ's resurrection was a glorious instance of the divine power and therefore He is declared to be the Son of God with power 
by the resurrection from the dead, Romans 1.4, so will our resurrection be. And his resurrection is a standing evidence as well as pattern of ours. And then all the enemies of the Redeemer's kingdom will be completely conquered. Not only he who had the power of death, that is the devil, Hebrews 2.14, but the last enemy shall be destroyed, that is death. 1 Corinthians 15.26 shall be swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15.54 What a glorious day that will be. When the old has completely passed away and the perfection has come. What a glorious day that will be when we will walk the streets of the New Jerusalem, fellowshipping with one another, praising and magnifying the name of Jehovah for all eternity. That is what awaits you if you are in Christ. Oh, how that ought to be an encouragement for your soul as you trudge through this life of sin and misery. Dear saints, you ought to lift up your minds to heaven and be wholly attached to Christ because this body which you carry about with you is not an everlasting body, but it is a frail tabernacle which will in short time be reduced to nothing. And then you will be given the glorious new body. One without pains. One without aches. One without ailments. One without sickness. One that is perfect in every way. Wholly incorruptible. But that's not the only comfort for you. No, Christ will ultimately subdue all things and put them under His subjection. And that ought to be a great comfort to you as well. The wicked magistrates who seek to promote and protect perversity will one day be brought to naught. The wicked hearts of men who seek to destroy and stay the gospel from going forth. They will one, be, one day be vanquished. And the whole earth will be full of the glory of the Lord. Friends, this is what you have to look forward to. This ought to be your anticipation, your hope, your longing, your desire. This is why you run the race that is set before you. This is what you reach forth towards. In this end, it will only be reached by following the example of the faithful who have gone before you. By staying the path. By not walking down the way of the wicked. By not sitting in their seat or heeding their counsel or following 
their example, but by following the example of the faithful to walk in the way of the righteous. So friends, brothers and sisters, walk in the way of the righteous in anticipation of your heavenly reward. Let us pray. Father, we come to you and we do thank you. We thank you that you have given us examples to follow. Scriptural examples. The faithful who have gone before us. Historical examples. And even personal examples. Father, give us the wisdom and the courage to seek to be examples to others. Let us recognize that even if we're trying or even if we're not, we will all be examples in one way or another. Lord, let us be examples of how to walk in the way of the righteous. Lord, keep us on this path. And preserve us into that last day of Christ Jesus our Lord. When you usher us into your kingdom. And we reign forevermore. Lord let this guide us in how we live our lives today. As we live this life in anticipation of the one to come. Lord, make this word effectual in our hearts. Use your spirit to strengthen and guide us as we walk in this way. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.